Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Holistic Health Hour with me, Holistic Life Strategies Coach, Aleka Thorvalson. And this unique and inspiring show allows us to look at our lives in a whole new way, tuning into our health, our wellness, and happiness from a mind, body, spirit, and soul perspective. And it is my intention to create a new kind of dialogue about our health, about our bodies, about our relationships, and our lives, empowering transformation from the inside out. So this is part four of the relationship series. Welcome. Um, How is it going for you so far? Have you highlighted some patterns or behavior in your life that perhaps you're ready to let go of or release? Um, I've heard from many of you, I would say that this series has gotten a lot of feedback, probably the most feedback that I've gotten thus far. And I know I always say that, but it seems to happen that way. The more shows I do, the more feedback I get, um, which is kind of cool. So it's been great, actually, hearing everybody's stories and questions and um, comments on what they've been hearing. I, and I really want to say what tremendous courage you all have to really look at this, look at your life, look at this issue in your life, straightforward and head on like you are. Um, it's, it's just awesome. And I'm, I'm always so grateful and humbled by the response that I'm, I'm getting. So this part four is the last segment of this series. Um, I have to stop somewhere, right? <laughs> um, I've, I've been just, you know, kind of building and building and building. And um, I'm going to let this series end. And then I'm certain I'm going to continue, of course, my podcast just um, and go in a, a diff- little different direction. So I wanted to address a few key points in this this segment, and I also want to address the questions that I've gotten over over the last um, six weeks or so, and and I appreciate them. I thank you for the questions. I initially was going to do this show live and and take your questions live on the air, but then I realized that when I was going through the questions and collecting the ones that I got via email, that there's no way I would have enough time to answer the questions you sent via email and any questions that you um, would ask me live. And since I promised to do that and tackle your questions via email, I definitely want to do that. So we'll wait on the live show. If you're listening um, to this when it is live um, on Blog Talk Radio, I won't be taking callers tonight. Um, You can always find me in the chat room if you want to ask me questions because I am here going to be playing the show, but I'm not going to be taking live callers. I will do that shortly, though. I know that, um, that that was very popular when I did that. If you want to get in touch with me, though, you always can. You know, you know the drill, right? All the social media avenues, um, and via my website, probably the best bet: www.alekasky.com. Yeah, that's the best way. Okay. Um, let's let's just dive right in. We know that our capacity for love, right, we've been talking about this, is determined by our conditioning and the mirroring we receive. Forget, you know, I'm just kind of highlighting some key points here. Um, at best, we get confusing or mixed messages. And at the worst, we might experience trauma, abuse, addiction, or shame. And then reactionary patterns and coping patterns are created, and then we're left with this sense of hunger for real love, but also deflecting or defending against it because there's a deep sense of unworthiness, right, that we have inside. So these coping strategies or habits become our way of perceiving and experiencing the world. And that's sort of... In a nutshell, what we've talked about thus far, right? So if you want to know more about the hows and the whys of of that, then listen to the first three parts of the series. It's um, on Blog Talk Radio archived, and it's on my website, archived under media. So you can listen to all those parts and any of the other shows I've done. Um, And as I said, today is really focusing on your questions and comments from the series. 
right? And we know now that the good news is we can shift these patterns and we can create a new experience where we can learn to respond from the present moment rather than react from our past. And then when we do that, that's how we can create change, right? Because we're, we're actually putting new information into the present system to create a whole new experience. Now, one of the questions that I got was, how do we do it? Like, I want some detail, give me the how-tos, how do I change this stuff in my life? Um, that's a huge question, and I, I'm thinking that is a series in and of itself, but since I got um, four or five questions about that, and you, you all know how much I really want to bring you real-world how-tos. I mean, that's part of what I do in my work. I think it's great to have understanding and sort of have this theory behind how it works, but can you apply it? Right? So that's important to me, and I do want to address that. And I might actually do that um, in another series, but I do want to touch on it this evening. Um, I'll briefly cover it, and, and then I'll get into the questions that um, I got asked. So I, I do want to kind of reiterate, um, if you're really interested in changing this pattern in your life, if, you, if you're seeing these patterns showing up and you want to address it, please find some help or support. Um, I, I mentioned this in the last show, but since a few people got back in touch with me about, hey, how, how do we do it? The first thing I'm going to say to that is go find some support or go find some help. You know, there's groups, there's books, there's seminars, there's coaches, there's counselors, um, there's all forms of therapy, right? This is tough stuff. And, and asking for help is actually a huge first step in our healing because it asserts our worthiness and our deservedness. And it really begins to express the courage to be vulnerable and take that first step to change. I, I think asking for help is, is really the very first step to filling that sense of emptiness that we feel inside that I described on the last few shows. So the, the first step to, to sort of creating this change or healing in your life is to ask for help, right? So I'm going to encourage that again. Now, other steps, I'm going to kind of give you the, the breakdown here. Um, the first step, I think, to changing any pattern, especially this one, is awareness, right? Creating a sense of mindful awareness. Right? That present moment sort of witness, um, observer perspective. We, we have to first locate the issues that we need to change before we can work on them. So what is happening within us internally as well as what is showing up in our external lives. Both having awareness of and observing what that is, is is important from both perspectives. So healing requires that we learn to really commit to being present to what is rather than stuck in maybe um, what should be or what our ego selves want it to be, right? So this awareness begins to carve some space between that stimulus, right, that thing that happens, and then our response. That's that, that critical space of change so that we can begin to shift our focus to look at our lives um, and to begin to seek the, the wisdom and the grace of whatever is happening in our experience. First step is awareness. Second step is, um, and this is where the health can really come in, um, is, is we have to feel our feelings, right? We, we have to process. We have to be with it. We have to go through the process, the journey of transformation, maybe the alchemy right, of change. So this is where we start to burn off the emotion. Um, this is where we can locate the wisdom of our feelings. We can start to tell our story. We can identify or find even lost parts of ourselves. You know, this is where we can really begin to, to make room for the emptiness or the insecurity we feel so we can begin to heal it. You know, it, we, we, have to, we have to allow ourselves to be exactly where we are, 
yet and feeling what we're feeling and being grounded in enough of the present moment that we're not losing ourselves in our past, right? So this is where having someone to kind of hold that space for us, which is what um, a good friend, a good therapist, a good coach, a good um, healer will do, is that they can hold love present when anything less than love shows up, right? So they can just keep us grounded in the present. So that we got to process, we got to feel, we got to go through it. We got to go through the process of grief if that's what needs to arise. So first step, mindfulness. Second step, uh, process. Third step, then we begin to act, right? Now we can respond or we can apply what we've been learning and then we can take action from this new awareness. We then move into a space of practice where we can give ourselves choices rather than habit. Right? What this looks like is maybe we begin to mirror qualities we'd never received. So we, we put into practice elements like compassion, acknowledgement, accountability. We, we practice self-acceptance so that we heal our own shame or our own pain. Right? And, and I say shame because shame is one of the deepest and most painful um, of wounds because it denies the truth that we are intrinsically worthy and perfect. That emptiness we feel is sort of like a ball of shame, right? unworthiness. So having empathy for ourselves, having compassion for ourselves can really heal those parts of ourselves. You know, this is the action steps where we can practice forgiveness which is literally the way we let go of our past. And if you've listened to my work, you know, you've heard me talk about that. Um, we, can, we can let go of our, our blame, our anger, and really release old patterns of belief. And then in the same, oh, the same avenue, um, in this responding step, we can even evoke um, a practice of gratitude where we can begin to really ground into the grace and the wisdom of our pain. So those are three sort of simple steps, and I, I, I know that I'm not necessarily going too in-depth into them, and they are a process, and they're organic, and there's, there are multi-layers to them, right? The steps may not always be linear. Sometimes we do one, two, and we go back to one again, and we, stay a lot, we spend a lot of time in two. We spend a lot of time in the processing part and then the practicing part. Um, the point, of course, is that any work on ourselves, right, um, the, less, the less wounds we have means that the less projection we have in our relationship and the healthier choices we make rather than falling into old habits. You know, as long as we have unhealed wounds, there are many, many people in the relationship and our energy is stuck in many, many places in the past. So to have less people in the relationship to, and to be present Right, to really respond from a space of authentic nowness, right, we have to do our own uh, personal and internal work. So that, that kind of gives you a three-step process, um, and I apologize if I'm not giving you too um, much information there, but I hope it gets you started. And I think in the last few, the last, you know, few parts of this series, I've highlighted bits and pieces of that. So listen back again. And then, of course, you know, call me, get in touch with me, and we can go deeper into that work. Um, but what we're striving for here is balance, right? Because I've, I've mentioned this in the past, you know, we don't want to fall into old habits of codependency where we're giving everything of ourselves to another. Because in a healthy relationship, sometimes we do give and we put another person's needs first. That's healthy. Right? But to really recover these patterns that we're talking about, we must transform that constant habitual caretaking, rescuing, or enabling, and begin to respond from this new place of present understanding. So other tips that I wanted to highlight around um, improving our relationships that I maybe didn't get a chance to or that you've asked questions on, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there now. First, the first thing I've already said, which is you got to work on yourself. I mean, that's the number one tip for improving your relationships. Work on yourself. And there are a few more. Um, the first point I want to make, I just want to, I mentioned it in the past, but I want to reiterate it. Um, 
healthy relationship, let go of needing to be right. Because when we find ourselves in the space of righteousness, right, it's really a way of protecting ourselves. And, you know, letting go of a need to be right allows us the space to learn because if we're right, then we're stuck. We, we can't grow. You know, and, and also elements like retaliation or revenge, these two are defense mechanisms. And when they show up, the real work has really stopped. So being right means that there is an imbalance in, in power present. It, it says I rather than we. And when relationships are healthy, they aren't run by patterns of control or fear or defense. And it's, it's, there's a classic saying out there, right, that you want to be right or you want to be happy. Um, the fact is, you might be right, and they might be right, and you could also be wrong. Perspective is everything. So if you're having a difficulty um, sitting in the space of wrong, and if you feel like you need to be right all the time, something to work on. You know, let someone else be right and really sit with what that means. Yeah, lots of stuff is going to come up there. Another point I want to make. Um, to do this work, you got to pick partners that are willing to do the work with you. And I did get this question. Um, can you do it otherwise? Can you work on your relationship if your partner isn't interested in working with you? Great question. Um, Look, we've all learned through this series that relationships are really about healing yourself, after all, right? That it's projection, um, that it enables us to really look at what we're saying about them and how that applies to us. It's, it's the concept of how we, we transfer our old wounds on our present partners in hopes that we could work it out somehow. So there's a lot of learning that can be done um, personally. So you can certainly work on yourself and shift some aspects of your relationship. That's true. I, I'm sure that we can. But I will say, if one person is doing that work and the other person isn't, that there is an imbalance there. And it, it's like two people walking in different directions. It's going to be difficult to have a relationship, a healthy relationship, under those circumstances. You know, I, I think that we don't always have to be going at the same pace in a relationship. We just need to be willing to, do the, to, to walk it, right? So we need to be able to, to, um, to just do the work. So having a willing partner is pretty necessary to this, to have a functional relationship, absolutely. Um, I will also note that this, if you're, um, this won't work with an addict. Right. Um, if you're in a relationship with someone who is actively using um, a substance or, or addicted to something, um, then you are you are actively in a relationship with someone who is engaging and keeping their issues incomplete. And unless they're willing to work on it, there really is there's a lot of work, tremendous amount of work that you can do with yourself on yourself. But essentially, what will probably happen is that you're going to find that leaving the relationship is is probably the most loving thing you can do for both of you. So I hope that answers that question. Um, another point and another question that I got was around communication. So yes, I haven't talked about it too much in the series, but yeah, a healthy relationship means we need to learn how to communicate. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know if we really know how to do that very well. I think we think we do. Um, you know, the single most important issue within a relationship is the ability to communicate. It's a skill. And, and many of us are using communication strategies that were set long ago. And I think listening is likely more important than speaking, in, in, you know, as far as communication goes. So I think when we talk about learning how to communicate, what I think we're really talking about is, number one, really, really learning how to listen, which means we cultivate how to listen through our other, through our partner's ears or our, the other person's ears, not our own. So when we listen to what is being said, we're not running it through our own perceptions, 
built from the past, but we're really hearing it the way that person meant it, right? So it's present moment listening, so to speak. That's a skill. Of course, the other part of communicating is assertiveness, and that's something I've talked to talked about within the series. Um, you know, the ability to to listen, though, in this way is helped, of course, by having our healed wounds. So we go back to step one of doing our own work. You know, if we don't have as many wounds there, then we, we won't listen through them, right? Otherwise, we often hear through our own wounding and our own story, which changes the wording, right? This is sort of like what happens when we text people. It's so interesting that the, um, we don't get to see someone. So we just see the words, and it's so easy to misinterpret what we're reading because we're reading it through our own filter. So doing our own work um, helps us to hear in a way that's really present. And as I said, it can also enable us to be assertive and ask for what we need and then be open to receiving it. Right? So, you know, it, it can be a habit that we want, we want our partner to mind read our needs, or we might even fall into blame or complain that our needs aren't being met. And all of these are ways that we can communicate in a, in a healthy way, right? So we don't get into these old patterns of blaming or complaining, which are all defensive shields to the vulnerability that is created by really just being assertive and asking for what we need. So learning to really communicate, very, very helpful. Um, okay, another point, you know, that someone mentioned, because I, I usually do bring in an, a, a piece of, of spirituality to all this, and in a way I think I have. I mean, it's sort of, I, because I'm so um, multifaceted in the way that I look at things, um, I, I can see that from different perspectives. And someone said, well, you didn't really bring in too much of the kind of the spiritual side of this. And so I, I do want to, I, I think that's important. I think connecting to something bigger helps everything, right? However you make sense of that energy, whatever that is to you, it's important to remember that we are all here for a purpose, right? And the people in your life are too. And you know that I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about religion because, you know, and, and I'm not downplaying religion by any means, but often religion can create much division and separation, which is the opposite of where we're going. What, what I'm referring to here is looking at life through our a more open lens of wonder and curiosity and really allowing space for divine guidance and grace to emerge. And if you look at many, many spiritual traditions, it is taught, many, many teach that the emptiness we're trying to fill, right, inside with external things or people, stuff, is really our severed cord to that sense of the divine. So by reconnecting to that force, that divine force, however that makes sense to you, you know, it is the being at the core of our human beingness, right? We can finally feel the emptiness that we feel and we can become whole. That, that whole part that we're seeking is not out there but within us. Um, John Wellwood said it beautifully when he said, psychological work is about what has gone wrong, and that's important, right? And spiritual work is about finding what is intrinsically right even in the wrong. And that's what I'm talking about here. So it's about seeking and locating depth of our meaning within our experience to live life more authentically. The desire we have to connect is right. That, that, that part of us that's burning for connection is right, and we often look outside rather than inside. So we do want to connect to that desire within and recognize that I do not want you, but I want the feelings you stirred in me. And following that can take us to the divine that I'm talking about. What else is there? If out there doesn't matter, what are we left with? 
So desire and longing can become almost holy because it can link us to that force that is bigger than ourselves. So, so practicing this and cultivating this within the framework of our own lives is, is really important to, to all aspects, but certainly important to our relationships as well. All right, so I hope that covered some of, the, some of the comments and questions you had. I'm going to go on to more of the specific questions. Um, the first one I want to highlight, because I got this from, from a few different people, sort of asked in a few different ways, um, but, you know, kind of nailing it down, how do you know when a relationship's over? Yeah, great question. It's, it's a great question. How do you know when it's over? Well, I guess the simple answer is because it's over, right? But it's sort of facetious because we, we often want to fight for it, right? We often want to say, is it really over? And, and one of the things that I, I often tell my clients um, is, look, you've you got to go until you know it, until you have that inner sense that it's over. Um, but I wanted to offer a few questions to help you really assess if, it's re if you're ready to let go of the relationship or it's something that you should continue. Now, of course, if the other person is willing to work with you on it, I would say continue to, 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 to do as much work as possible until you feel clear. But this, these questions are formulated from, a, um, I, I took them from a great book by David um, Rico that I highly recommend. He's, a, he's an amazing author, um, very interesting work. And um, the book itself is called How to Be an Adult in Relationships which I think is, is a fantastic read. And um, the, so these, these, these questions are, are really from his book. I just think they're so, they're so fitting, and I often use them with my clients as sort of like a checklist <laughs> to, to really assess um, the health of their relationship. So number one, is your partner willing to show up and really willing to do the work? I mean, that's number one. Um, do you make time to spend together? Is the relationship supporting your own needs and values? Does the person have an active addiction? Because right, that, that would make it pretty difficult. Do you and your partner show one another love, respect, and support? Do you enjoy and feel safe in each other's company? Is your sex life balanced and satisfactory? Do you remain faithful to one another? Do you trust your partner? Are you and your partner willing to work on conflict together? Are you keeping agreements with each other? Does your partner match what you have always wanted for yourself in an intimate relationship? And this is a good one. Are you together by choice rather than because of history, family, social convention, financial security, religious influence, or the absence of an immediate alternative, or the inconvenience, or the fear of separating? That's a good one. Yeah. You maybe pause and play that one back. Um, when you describe how you first met, or how you first knew you were in love? Is it with details, enthusiasm, and a sense it was fortunate? I often do this a lot with my couples. I ask them how they first met, and, and it's very telling on many levels. Is there a sense that your learning is over? That's huge. That's huge. And this is a great question, too. Does your inner trio, heart, head, and gut, so I would say your intuition, right, your instinct, does, does it tell you that it's over? Is it time? Really answering from that authentic place. Okay, so those are some questions, right, to help you kind of assess, Ian, do I need to be letting this go? Because oftentimes we know from these strategies and what we've talked about that we often hang on way too long, right? Okay, another question I got. What's a healthy relationship look like, right? Um, Great question. Let me give you some factors that make up a healthy relationship. Number one, I'm going to say this again. I've reiterated it, what, like three times now? Both of you are doing your work and you understand 
this concept of projection and accountability and ownership and healing, right? So that you're, you're really recognizing that when you're upset with the other person that you got to look inward. So you're, you're challenging and motivating each other for personal change. Um, and you're doing this with a sense of trust and openness and integrity and respect. That's important. Those words are really important in a healthy relationship. Um, it also means that you each have your own separate lives, right, full lives, and a life together. So this might look like separate friends, hobbies and interests, as well as having some in common, right? So there's a sense of self-worth that is enhanced when together. It's not defined by the other. Um, and if you imagine the, the person being um, gone from your life, you would feel sadness appropriately and loss, but ultimately you know you would be okay. That is healthy. And, and it tells us that the relationship is not based in fear or neediness, right? So things like jealousy or need to control or manipulate, those aren't present. And in a healthy relationship, there is a sense of personal privacy, but we're not keeping secrets that violate, you know, really important boundaries of trust and intimacy. Okay, so there, the, those are some ways in which we know, yeah, checklist, relationship is healthy. Okay, and I know, I mean, they're messy. I've said this in the past. It's going to, you know, it's going to look, we're not going to always be in those places all the time, but the fact is we come back to it and we're working on them together. Okay, another question that I got, um, what do we do when it's over? What do we do when our relationships are over? Um, that's a great question, and I, as, I was, as I was just making a very brief outline as I do when I'm doing these shows, I, um, I thought maybe I would, that, this warrants a whole show because there's a lot to be said about this, but I, I just I want to answer the question here as best I can because it was asked um, a couple different times, actually. Um, and there's a lot of that right now. I mean, just in general, there's a lot of endings and beginnings, so I think a lot of us are going through this. What do you do when a relationship ends? Um, well, first off, when a relationship ends, it's really tough because often our past has mingled with our present somewhat. That it is very likely that we have transferred our need, right, for acceptance, from, for, for love, for connection, from our past to our present mate. So what happens when they leave, we feel really, really deeply and we can often feel abandonment um, or shame or betrayal that we originally felt way long ago it's just back right so this this is important to recognize when a relationship ends I'm not saying that they're not hard and you don't miss the person yeah but often we miss so much more than that that there's so much more going on than just the person from our life because they represented something with us for us, right, from our past. Remember, listen to the other shows. And I, I can remember this um, very distinctly. I, I made, you know, this, I referenced this example because with my first real boyfriend, um, during our relationship was the, really the separation that I had with my own father. My dad and I had a huge conflict, um, and I, I left the house. I was 15, I believe. And I, I left the house on very bad terms to live with my mom. It was a very cut and dry, um, I'm leaving for good, you're kicked out, I'm done. I'm, I've washed my hands of you. Um, so for me, that was, it felt like a huge rejection. Huge. It was a final, like, the sense of abandonment for me. And what happened is, you know, I transferred much of this pain to the, my current boyfriend at the time, right? And I, was, I, I tried very hard, way too hard, to find the acceptance and connection and love that I'd lost, right, and with him. What, so what happened was I became extremely codependent, and my behavior was based on control and fear, 
I became jealous and I became really needy. And in the process, I pushed away the very connection I was de desiring so badly. Right? Now, now, I'm kind of making a really long story short, but when the relationship ended, because of course it did, um, it, was, it was incredibly unhealthy, I fell into a, and, and on my part, I'm owning that, um, no blame there. When the relationship ended, I, I fell into a really deep despair. And, I, you know, now, looking back on it, I, grieving, I, I was not only grieving the loss of my first love and this person in my life who became a dear friend of mine, but I was really grieving the devastating loss of my father and what that meant. And I, I didn't know that at the time, right? At the time, I was just in pain. I mean, I just hurt, um, and I was in agony. And I spent months, actually, trying to get this person back, my boyfriend, back into my life. And I was, you know, judging and blaming myself, and I was trying to figure out what I had done wrong so I could, if I fixed myself, somehow he'd come back. And I was hustling to be the person that I thought he wanted me to be, believing that, you know, if he accepted me again, then it would heal this devastation and emptiness that I felt inside. You know, and of course, now we look at it, the truth was it, it wouldn't have, right? Because the hole that I was feeling and the place that I was coming from was much, much deeper than my relationship with, with him. Um, it, it, was, it was tremendous feelings of loss and betrayal. And when I was finally able to understand what was going on, right, shout out, thank you to therapy, I was able really to heal um, and put the focus on what really needed healing, which was this, this devastation and, and loss and real grieving process that I had to do around this situation with my own father. So I bring up that example to, to give you, you know, how it can show up um, in our lives and how we take our past and transfer it onto our present. So the ending of a relationship although it's painful and very, very difficult, can really be an avenue to look deeper into ourselves by, you know, going deeper, by embracing, by shedding light into the dark feelings and the darkness that arises. It is like all times of transformation, right? It's not fun, not fun, but can point us to the parts within ourselves that really need healing. So it's important to ask yourself in a breakup, you know, what, is, what part of you wants the person back? Is it the healthy self? Is it the wounded self? Asking yourself in a breakup, how much of the feelings you're having and the experience you're having is about this person? And how might this be echoing an old story or pattern in your life? Questions like these give us the opportunity to reveal these old patterns and then do the work to heal them. You know, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying this to minimize how much we actually do miss the people we are, you know, in, in relationships. Of course, they become our dearest friends, our companions, our lovers, right? And, and you know, if, if they're taken away from us in a way that um, feels sudden, grief is required, no doubt. Right? We gotta go through the process. But just pay attention to the deeper stories that might be might be there as you walk through the dark night of loss. Other other tips to help you get through this, find help and support. Practice practice mindfulness. We go back to those three steps, right? We witness, we observe what is happening. This can create some space and, and we can become a witness to the story, then fall into the story. Grief is about grieving, right? We have to let go of numbing behavior. So commit to, as much as you can, feeling the full spectrum of your feelings. It's tough, I know, right? But having our feelings is the only way through. The only way out is through. And, and grief, you know, the only way out of grief is to grieve. It is a verb. 
Um, mindful grief means we mourn for all parts of the relationship. You know, the past, the present, um, our future, what the, we didn't get or what we're not going to get, what the relationship represented to us in our lives, and the loss of the person in our life. So, and, I'll, and you know, I'll, I'll also say, you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, feel it. So listen to my show on feelings for that one, and listen support to how to move through it because there's many, many ways to kind of help us move through that difficult space. And I would say along those same lines, resist, resist the urge to fall into another relationship right away. That's important. You gotta do your work first. Otherwise, um, it's it's very likely that you'll create the same patterns that you you just left or that that you just um, sort of if you didn't have your choice in the matter that were taken from you right the same it, it will create the same pattern awesome okay um, I hope that helps you know that's tough it's lots is tough there's no doubt about that and I don't I don't um, you know I just I just have a big space for that because it's, it's, it's a challenging thing. It's a challenging thing. Um, so hopefully that gave you some parameters about how to move through it, finding the grace. Moving on to another question. Um, I spoke during the series about channeling our adult self versus our child self, and that was the question. You spoke during the series about channeling our adult self versus our child self. How do we know... How do we do that, and how do we know the difference between the two? Okay, great question. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a good one to kind of practice that sense of a witness perspective or awareness around that. Do you feel the need to be right? right? Do we find ourselves defending, 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 or blaming, or making it about them and not taking accountability? That would be the child self, right? So we want to locate where, what we're doing in those moments and, and what we're feeling and, and what that sounds like, right? Our adult self then is able to be accountable for our actions and, and although they will stand up, you know, that part of us will stand up for ourselves and defend what, what feels correct, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be right. There's a difference there because there's, there, it's a grounded sense of self. Right? It doesn't need to be right. Um, and it can allow someone else to be right, too. It's sort of the let's agree to disagree. Right? So if you find yourself controlling, manipulating, that would be the child self. Well, that sort of adult, authentic, there's other names for it, self is willing to negotiate. Right? It can, it can go either way. There's a sense of negotiation rather than needing it to be a certain way. Um, that, 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 that inner child, past part, whatever we call it, expects to feel good a lot of the time. And then if it doesn't, it often, that's where blame shows up, right? It's your fault. You made me feel this way. The adult self is, is really able to own their own feelings and be accountable to their own feelings rather than blame someone for making them feel that way. You know, it's, it's when people say, I, and it's often used passive aggressively, just FYI. Um, if someone says, boy, I'm really feeling angry, well, those are, you know, I can't make you feel that way. You know, you feel angry, it's not my fault. That's your response. You know, and that's true, but the way in which you say it sometimes is very passive aggressive. Um, but yeah, being accountable for our feelings is, is definitely important. Um, another way to check. Um, is what is happening in your life, your relationship, your experience, is it an old drama story? Right? Have you experienced it before? Does it feel familiar? Continuing the pattern would be taking the advice of the child self to continue with more of the drama, more of the story. The adult self wants to let go of the story. So you're getting the picture, right? The, adult, the, the child self is kind of needy and wants to end their loneliness somehow. And then it can often go into codependent and counterdependent strategies, and it can kind of latch on to people or things, while this adult, mature, or healed self 
seeks connection based on want rather than need. So that the child self is a bit more manipulative while the adult self is assertive. And there's a difference between the two and we've talked about that. Um, so I hope that helps to give you kind of some ideas about the parts of you. And it's funny because I think, you know, I've heard it in um, recovery circles. I don't have like a couple parts, I have a whole committee. And I think that's true. But really, like er learning your, your inner landscape, some of the um, psycho psychological models would be like parts therapy, right, where we really locate the parts. Finding someone that's skilled in doing that, go for it, you know, because you can really start to dialogue with the parts of the self. Um, it's very interesting. It's, it's very Jungian in some ways. So because it's, because it's based on archetypes as well. So look at the parts of you and who's taking action, who's talking, who's answering the question, who wants to react versus respond. So really becoming aware of the, of the inner landscape is important and to recognize, oh, yeah, my child wants to take control. Right now my adult self needs to come in and be the parent, right? Reparenting ourselves, which is what we talked about in the last show bit. Okay, so I hope that gives you some parameters between the two. All right, last question that I'm going to tackle today that I got was really a good one, another really good one, um, and all of these could be their own shows, I think, but this one was about how can I help my kids so they don't turn out like me? And I got another question that said, how can I not screw up my kids? <laughs> Which is funny, I love it. I, a great question, right? Um, and as a parent, I'm raising my hand, I get it, believe me. Um, we, I think we all have good intentions, especially if we do this work. We really try, right? I'm, I mean, we don't, I don't want my kids to spend years in therapy, but maybe they will, um, and that's cool. I want to do the very best I can to, to, to help them to be um, functional, compassionate, worthy human beings. And I, I, I will give you the best advice that I ever got, um, which is do your own work. You know, that, that is... Ultimately, if we want to have healthy kids, we got to do our own work. And you know what? I want to also point this out. You're going to project on your kids just like you do in any relationship. Everything we've talked about in this series, you can apply it here. You know, we have this, it's an interesting thing, and everyone that knows me knows that I'm, I'm sort of passionate about this, so I won't get on my soapbox. But, you know, we have this hierarchy that we know more than our kids do. In, in this culture, it's very interesting. So, like, looking at this, looking at them as human beings and people that you are going to project upon, which means that you have a ton of learning to do in your relationship with your kids on yourself, right? That's super important. So right away, sort of letting go that we, we know more than our kids is, is critical. Because I'm not thinking I do. I think I have a little more experience. And I think I know some things as far as um, coping strategies and maybe I've had some life sort of wisdom, but I don't know if I'm the, you know, the, best, the best person to ask about their lives. They have a lot of their own best answers because they're living their experience, and we as parents just need to facilitate that. Right? So you're, you're learning about yourself from your kids just as they are. So everything that I've talked about, apply it to your relationship with your kids, right? And do your own work because children are really like sponges, especially in those early years. They soak up not necessarily what they hear, but they do, they do take that into. But they really absorb what they see and experience. So it becomes critical that we mirror healthy coping strategies, right, tools, um, expression, self-worth, assertiveness, communication, all the stuff that we've been talking about. You know, and we want to mirror healthy relationships with people for our kids. Meaning we, we, we mirror what giving looks like, what receiving looks like. We even want to look at what they want to, you know, see what conflict, conflict looks like. That's helpful. You know, I mean, I, I do tell parents, and I certainly um, prescribe to it, it's okay to let 
conflicts show up in your marriage or your relationship with your significant other. It's okay to show them what healthy conflict looks like. Now, we don't need to get into abuse, obviously, trauma, if we're drama. If we're getting into those things, we, we need to definitely do our work and get our help because we know that children who are in those experiences, it literally changes who they are, not just psychologically, but, but biologically in their mind, in, in their, their literal brain shifts and changes when they experience trauma or abuse. So showing them healthy conflict, fine. Healthy resolution, great. You know, um, I, I, I think we want to teach our kids resiliency rather than protecting them. Giving them tools rather than armor is important. So this means we allow our children to express themselves. And they're going to have different opinions and feelings than we do. That's part of them being a human being. And, and creating a space for the healthy exchange of ideas is so important. Asking the question, what do you think about that? What do you think you should do? What do you need here? I know those are, those are fantastic questions because maybe they have a really good understanding about what it is they need. And, and we don't know. I mean, I'm so surprised how many great points um, and negotiations my kids bring to the table. It, it really blows my mind. Um, and it's, it's very humbling, to be perfectly honest, you know, we, to, to recognize that they have so many of their own answers. Um, you know, we want to, as much as possible, allow them to make their own decisions, even from a very early age, and really not put our own personal biases and expectations on what we think they should do. Right? We, we want them to discover who they are and not who we want them to be. So this means a lot more saying yes than saying no. And it's just tough. As parents, I get it. Right? It's, 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 it's hard. But this is where us doing our own work comes in. Um, allowing for mistakes. So important. Theirs and ours. So we can model accountability, yep, I screwed up. And then we can, we can model um, healthy guilt. We can model really owning that and, 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 and apologizing it in, a, in, in apologizing for our behavior in a healthy way. We can model real forgiveness. And when we do that, we also model worthiness, assertiveness, Right? Um, and, and certainly we want to model good boundaries by, by showing them and not staying in dysfunctional relationships like a, abuse or addiction. That's huge. You know, we really have to think about what we are teaching our kids when we stay in these situations, abuse or addiction. Right? What are, and what are we teaching our kids if we have active addictions or some serious um, issues ourselves? We also need to allow our children to have feelings. And we need to mirror what those feelings are and how to best work with them. And I know, I get it, it's hard to see our kids in pain or dealing with difficult feelings you know, like sadness or anger, anxiety. And it's especially tough if we ourselves are uncomfortable with, with those feelings too. Right? So this is a great opportunity for us to recognize, oh, I'm uncomfortable here with her feelings or his feelings. What does that say about me? Or I'm not quite sure how, like, what to do with this particular feeling. I got some work to do with that. So what does it look like to, you know, kind of be a healthy mirror or a healthy model for these feelings? Well, so let's use sadness, right? So we can, we, one of our children, one of our children, one of our children comes to us and they are sad. So maybe we just say, tell me the story. What's happening? What's going on? Right? And then we listen. We empathize. That's tough. I can see that you're sad. 
and we allow sadness rather than ridicule or shame them. You know, which would look more like, you have nothing to be sad about. You're only 10. You know, that's no big deal. That shouldn't make you sad. Or, you know, boys shouldn't be sad. Be strong. Toughen up. Right? In a healthy mirroring, we might share the wisdom of sadness, something I've talked about in these shows. You can listen to the show on feelings for that. Right? With the wisdom of sadness, making room for something else. It's letting go. Right? We're making room for something better. Something needs to be let go of to do that. That's not easy. You know, and I want to highlight that we need to do the same for feelings like joy. And we don't often think of that, but so many of us adults have a hard time owning our joy. And I've talked about that in the past, but it's so true that the moment we feel joy, we fall into sabotage. Right? Many of us didn't get that. We didn't, we didn't get good models for joy. We don't know how to do it. So say your child runs in stoked. I got an A on the spelling test. That's great. High five. Awesome. Super. Very cool. Do a dance. Right? Rather than, um, and this is what, I've, what I hear occasionally, well, you know, don't get too excited. You got an A this time, but normally, you know, you got, you've gotten C's. So that just means you need to work extra hard to get an A next time. Or, um, that's great, don't get too excited about that because it's going to get harder from here on out. You know, we're not mirroring joy. We're showing them exactly what we, we do. We have joy and then we shut it down. So we want to give them support and we want to mirror the tools to practice engaging with that feeling so they can become emotionally intelligent. And the truth is we are all downloaded with the potential software, right? We're, we're like these, these, these computer programs, right? In, in many ways, it's very interesting that we're downloaded. We have it. It's there. We have the software to be healthy, self-aware, assertive, emotionally intelligent. Um, we are downloaded with the software to love ourselves and to each other. But we need healthy mirroring to activate it. And we, we know what happens, right? If, if, if we, if children, do not get healthy mirroring about how to handle life, then coping strategies and behavior are forged in the fire of necessity rather than functionality, which lead us to the dysfunctional patterns that we have discussed throughout the series. And surviving is very, very different than thriving. So by modeling, by mirroring these behaviors and, and, um, and parts of who we are, really, for our kids, we activate the forces within them. It's very cool. And I want to I wanna offer that start where you are, you know, because the point is none of us are going to be perfect parents. That's, that's the whole point, actually. You know, we're, 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 we are giving them the best that we can, and then they got their own work to do. We're not here to do their work for them. We're here to give them the tools. Right? That's important to recognize because I think as parents, we take on so much responsibility. And we, we look at it from a codependency perspective, we're kind of codependent with our kids. You know? We kind of are in some ways. And that's not healthy. So, so... Being gentle with yourself and being compassionate about where you are on this path is so important. So if you're finding patterns within yourself here, um, especially with your kids, that you want to shift or change, do it. Do it now. Take ownership of it. Be accountable. And do the best you can. I, I, I honor and applaud that. Right? That in and of itself is tremendous teaching for our children being exactly where you are and owning it. Very, very cool. Okay, we have covered a tremendous amount of ground in this series. I, um, I am impressed with the, the depth that this has taken us and the, um, just, the, just the very sort of all, in, you know, expansive places that we've gone. Um, are you tired? <laughs> right? 
I'm, I'm a little bit, yeah. Um, lots of talking. Lots of great information. Lots of great feedback. Lots of great questions. This has been such a pleasure for me to really dive into a subject that I've been meaning to really highlight because so much of my work revolves around relationships and, and the concepts that come through relationships. And I am so grateful to all of you for being a part of it and sharing this journey with me. I really appreciate the ability to express my work and to share my work with all of you. And as always, I encourage you to continue on your path of discovery and healing. And I know it's not always easy, but it's worth it. It's what we're here to do. And it's so much better on the other side, I promise. So let me know if I can support you in any way on your journey. And as always, my deepest, deepest gratitude for walking this path with me. And until next time, take care. <laughs>